Turn. Our passage for today is from the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. This summer, we've been doing a series on the parables of, of Luke, the parables that Jesus gave. And uh, they're very interesting because in those parables, Jesus tackles some very controversial subjects. But he does it in such a way that uh, the meaning is not always obviously apparent. You have to dig, you have to figure out what the various people represent and what the various elements of the, the parable mean. And today we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, and we're going to do the parable that comes right after the scripture that was just read. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Your word is the most, the most meaningful thing in our lives, because without your word, we... We don't have life. These are the words of life. Without your words, we are stumbling in the darkness. We are totally dependent on people's opinions, on what we hear from the media, and we become all disoriented and distracted by the things of the world. But your word always pulls us back to that which we need to focus on and ultimately to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, in whose name we pray. Amen. As some of you know, I have a passion for photography. It's more than a hobby to me. And I've had, a, for the last 20 years, a real desire to get as good as I possibly can within the limitations of my equipment. And along the way, I've come to the conclusion that a good photographer is someone who notices things, someone who pays attention to things that other people overlook, the way the sunlight reflects on the water, a butterfly sitting quietly on a buttercup, eyes peering out from a secluded hiding place, a photographer has to pay attention. And that's important in most areas of life. If you don't pay attention in the kitchen, your Aladdin can turn into charcoal briquettes. If you don't pay attention in physics class, you will learn the meaning of the two most dreaded words in the English language, summer school. If you don't pay attention when you're operating machinery, you could lose a finger, a hand, an entire arm. So it's important to pay attention 
because there could be serious consequences if you don't. That's why distracted driving has become a major safety issue. Laws have been passed to discourage people from using their cell phones or texting when behind the wheel. Distracted driving can have deadly consequences. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about an even more important issue, distracted dining. And we're looking at another parable here, and this one is in Luke 14, where in verse 15 it says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. What is the best thing in life? For children, it would be going to Disneyland, or better yet, Callaway Park, or how about that little train in Bowness? For sports fans, it would be tickets to the Super Bowl or Wimbledon. For shopaholics, it would be a trip to Manhattan. I hear they have an amazing dollar store there. <laughs> well, in Jewish culture, it didn't get any better than their feasts. In fact, that's going to be the featured event in the New Jerusalem when the Lord returns. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. I can hardly wait. I wouldn't miss it for the world. And that's precisely the problem. You could miss it because of the world. Verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. In Jewish culture, hospitality was a major issue. If you held a banquet, you would serve the finest food. You would provide the, the best entertainment. And if you were invited to such an occasion, you would set aside everything on your schedule so that you could attend the banquet. And for such an event, two invitations were given. The first one was like, save the date, details to follow. The second invitation came on the day and specified the time, whether 4 p.m., 6 p.m. Come, everything is now ready. So everyone would, who had been waiting would hurry to the banquet hall. Tonight's going to be a good night. What an honor to be invited to a banquet. Verse 17 says that at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come for everything is now ready. This second invitation was given to those who had already agreed to come. If you didn't want to go, you would have turned down the first invitation. There are some who do that. They're not interested in anything God has to offer. In a way, the church is kind of like God's first invitation. Because there's going to be this big celebration at the end of the age with people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, all who are interested in that are gathering every Sunday in anticipation of the Lord's return. We are on the list. We have been invited and we can hardly wait. But that's the problem, waiting. We can get impatient. We can stop paying attention. We can get distracted by other priorities. Verse 18 says, But the all alike began to make excuses. 
Those who heard that parable would have been absolutely shocked. What? Are you kidding? That's outrageous. No one would do that. To refuse someone's generous offer of hospitality was an unforgivable insult, especially since you had previously accepted. It's like telling your host, yes, I was intending to come, but something more important came up. I found something better to do. I won't be there after all. I mean, that was unthinkable. They all alike began to make excuses. Do you ever make excuses? We use excuses kind of as an exit strategy to get out of difficult or undesirable situations. I think police officers probably could write an encyclopedia of all the feeble excuses they've heard in the line of duty. Like the man who slammed into the rear end of another car and explained, it wasn't my fault. He was driving too close ahead of me. <laughs> or the lady who was pulled over for speeding and she explained, honestly, officer, my brakes are not working, so I wanted to get home as fast as I could before I had an accident. Doesn't that make sense? They all alike began to make excuses. Well, this better be good. The first one said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Really? Are you serious? It sounds like he bought a field sight unseen. And now he has to go and find out if he made a good investment. I mean, that's ridiculous. No one would buy any real estate without looking at it first. This is worse than a flimsy excuse. It's a lie. He's already seen the land. He's not fooling anyone. Please excuse me. But I'll promise to be there next time. Unless, of course, I find another bargain. I guess he was trying to keep his faith and his finances separate. The truth is that this man was more interested in business than in the Lord's banquet. Another example of attention deficit disorder. And incidentally, speaking of finances, what are you saving up for? What is your uh, next big purchase? And how does that affect your stewardship? Do you put your money where your faith is? Or do you have a really good excuse? Verse 19, another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Now notice that, not just one yoke of oxen, but five. That's like buying five brand new cars. And they are beauties, these oxen. Mink-lined harness straps, luxury molding on the hind shank, Michelin hooves, rear-vented tail. Why, they can do a quarter of an acre in under 10 minutes. Well, this guy is just as phony as the other guy. Who would buy even one yoke of oxen without test driving them first? I mean, they could be lame. Maybe one's a grass guzzler. If he bought five teams of oxen, I think I know what he's up to. 
He wants to take him for a pleasure cruise through the neighborhood and impress all the little people who only have a one-ox garage. I mean, those banquets can go on for days. I don't have time for that right now. I'm just too busy with my stuff. Lord, I cannot spend any time with you today. I just bought five new Nikon lenses. I have to try them out. Please excuse me. Another victim of short attention span. Verse 20 says, still another said, I just got married and I can't come. Well, that's better. Play your trump card. When all else fails, use your family as an excuse. What's more important than family? In Jewish culture, family even preempted military service. Deuteronomy 24.5 is an interesting verse. It says, if a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. Does that sound like a good deal? One translation says he must stay home so he can cheer up his wife. Obviously, weddings are very traumatic, especially for the women. And married life can be very disillusioning at first. The average bride needs at least a year to recover. Stop crying, honey. It's going to get better, I promise. You know, the thing about families is that, man, they demand a lot of attention and a lot of time. And much of that is necessary until it starts competing with the invitation that we have received to be part of the family of God. And as a pastor, I've heard all the excuses. You know, we can't come to church because our kids are involved in sports and all the games are scheduled on Sunday morning. Sunday is when we visit mom in the nursing home. I won't be there. I have to stay home to prepare for dinner. The family's coming over. Sometimes that, of course, is necessary. But for a lot of people, family is what comes first and determines everything. Well, family is first if it's the family of God. Because in Matthew 6.33, Jesus made it very clear. But seek first his kingdom. That's what comes first. You know, as a pastor, I have made sure that I did not neglect my family because I was too involved in church. But I also didn't neglect church because of excessive family demands. I had to find a balance. Now, much of the time, focusing on my family and God's kingdom were the same thing. Of course, that's, that's good when that happens. You know, Jesus was the one who clarified the importance of the family in relation to the kingdom of God. Because sometimes they get into conflict. Sometimes there's competition. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 10, beginning at verse 34. Do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Jesus was being very realistic here. He's saying loyalty to him 
could create friction in a family as members choose opposite sides. And we know that in some cultures, becoming a Christian is punished by family rejection. They'll put your name on the obituary page or even a hit list. And he went on to say, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And I've heard the excuse. I've heard people say, I can't become a Christian. I can't get baptized. I can't go to church because it would hurt my family. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, it says, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And that's really true. Because the family of God, the people you meet with every Sunday, are often the ones who become your closest friends. These are the people you have the most in common with, even more so than sometimes the members of your own family. Jesus was closer to his disciples than to his brothers. They had a lot more in common because they were focused on the kingdom of God. Now, it's ideal when your human family is also part of your heavenly family. As long as you realize that family responsibilities do not take priority over God's gracious invitation to us in places like Hebrews 10.25, where it says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The things happening in our family are extremely important. But on this earth, there's nothing more important than what happens in the family of God. Verse 20. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Well, hey, I got a great idea. Bring your new wife to the banquet. We'd love to meet her. Drive your oxen on down. We've got a big parking lot. If, you're looking, if you, if you uh, like looking at your land so much, why not fill a wheelbarrow with soil and bring it along? The servant came back and reported this to his master, and the owner of the bank of the house became angry. All an insult does, all an excuse does, is it makes God angry. It's an insult, a public humiliation. It's inexcusable. And it's taken me a long time to realize that my best excuses are counterfeit currency. I can, I can give excuses to people and maybe they'll believe me, but God will not accept them. They're non-negotiable. If I've accepted God's gracious invitation, I better make sure that nothing becomes more important or gets my attention. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town 
and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. This reminds us of the previous passage that was read earlier. Then Jesus said, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. There's a big problem with that when you do that. If you do, they may invite you back. And then you'll have to invite them back. And then they'll invite you back. And you'll never get to the place where you get out of this social whirlpool that you're in. They develop perpetual motion. That takes all of our time, all of our energy. We never get around to having a ministry with those outside our Christian circle. That's one of the reasons why in 2009 we went to Africa. We went there to find a village we could support because we said we need to start paying attention to the poor and the sick and the blind. And so we went to Uganda and we found a village and we made sure that they got clean water and then that they got medical services and a school and a new church building. And we've been sending teams over there every year to contribute to their well-being. And this is now the 10th anniversary. And the final team is there right now because that village is self-sustaining. And it really didn't take a whole lot of effort from us. But God did some amazing things there. And the interesting thing is, for the last 10 years, there's been this tremendous vocal opposition. Why are we worried about the poor in Africa? We have needs right here. We need to focus on our own projects, on our own people. Some never get beyond that. He said, go out to the streets and alleys. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. You know, all I can say is that the most important things you will accomplish in your lifetime are not the things you do for yourself. It's what you do for others, especially for those who never expected it. Imagine the surprise when the poor and the blind got this invitation. I wonder what excuses they made. I don't know, I just found this bag of crackers. Are you kidding? They responded immediately with grateful, overflowing hearts. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servants, go out into the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house may be full. God wants a full house, and he's going to get it. Because when you start doing things for others, you will never run out of opportunity. And they had so much fun at that banquet, it was the best time of their lives. But the parable ends with a warning. Verse 24, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Please excuse me this time. I'll make sure I come next time. Well, there won't be a next time. When Queen Elizabeth II was crowned, the invitations that were sent out to members of parliament and peers of the realm were not RSVP. They were inscribed with this statement. All 
excuses ceasing. In other words, no excuses be there. If a monarch expects no less, what of the king of kings? I wonder, have we made a commitment to him, but then later we kind of changed our mind? We backed off on it. We forgot about it. We got busy with something else. We got distracted. We stopped paying attention. Have you made some kind of a commitment in the past that you never followed through on? You never took it to its logical conclusion? Let me give you one example of that. We have all been invited to join the family of God and to celebrate new life on the basis of the forgiveness of sin through Christ's death and resurrection. Romans 4, verses 7 and 8, Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. That's you. That's what's happened to you. That you are blessed by having your sins forgiven with the understanding that just as your sins have been forgiven, you will also now forgive others. Colossians 3 verse 3, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the logical conclusion of the forgiveness that you have received is that you will then extend it to others, to the people who've hurt you, to the people who don't deserve it. You will now be one who will forgive others. That's why we cannot get distracted by grudges and bitterness. That's an insult to the one who freely forgave our sins. But you don't understand. I have a very good excuse. No. No, you don't. There is no excuse. What you have is an opportunity to treat others exactly the way God has treated you. That's what you have. If you accept his invitation then you give up all your excuses and you just make sure that you keep paying attention to every opportunity God gives you to bless others, especially those that don't deserve it. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's pray. Father, we, we get it. We understand that uh, you are not willing to accept second place in our lives. That simply won't do. You will not accept something else becoming more important, something else becoming more urgent. If you've called us and we've responded to that, then we need to continue to make that commitment 
until it's complete. And Lord, especially in this area of forgiveness, we have been blessed so much by your amazing grace. And what an opportunity this is to let that overflow into the lives of others. Father, thank you that uh, we have been invited to the banquet. And every Sunday when we gather here, it's like rehearsing for that. It's a dress rehearsal as we sing worship, as, as we pray. It's all about getting ready for that tremendous day. And thank you that our people here have been so faithful. They have not given up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. They continue to come. They continue to respond to your call. Help us to even go deeper into that as we notice the opportunities we have to bless others as you have blessed us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as the praise team comes.